Well, today I am excited because we're going to open the Word of the Lord together. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible app or if you're going to follow along on the screen, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 5. And we began a few weeks ago a message entitled, Blessed. And we began talking about the Beatitudes. And really, Jesus is one of Jesus' greatest or longest messages that he ever gave at one point as he sat down on the mountain and he began to give this amazing discourse. And we just kind of looked at a couple thoughts. We said that the Beatitudes give us a spiritual standard. We talked about how moral code kind of tells us the lines we're not supposed to cross. But Jesus was doing more than that. Jesus was doing more than just giving us thou shalt not. Jesus was actually raising the bar and telling us how we should live our lives. He was creating this spiritual standard and he was calling us up to live a life that not only exemplified the message of Christ, but also modeled the life of Christ. When you read the Beatitudes, you can't help but notice that everything that Jesus said, Jesus lived. He was the perfect example of these Beatitudes, and he was showing us what he was wanting us to do and how he was calling us to live our lives. And the realization of this is simply this. Each Beatitude begins with a blessing, right? Blessed are. And what Jesus was really was doing was unlocking this blessed life that we can all live in. And let me give you some good news today. Being blessed doesn't have anything to do with your financial status. And being blessed doesn't have anything to do with your social media status. And being blessed doesn't have anything to do with where you work or the house that you live in. You can be blessed in Christ and you can live a blessed life. Amen? When we embrace the message and the model that Jesus gave to us. Matthew chapter 5 the Bible says this, and I'm going to go ahead and get my phone out here to help me because you guys don't want to listen to me for 45 minutes, which I can do pretty easy. So let me see if I can help myself out. Amen. Matthew 5, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and he was seated, and his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Last week, we kind of dove into two of the Beatitudes. Let's just revisit a couple thoughts real quick. We said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We said, the mournful are the grieving, the broken, literally those who well in anguish and pain. And we recognized something last week. We recognized that God has a special blessing, right? His presence, the comfort of His Spirit. He has a special blessing reserved for those who look to Him in times of grief and pain. And then we looked at the next beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we recognize that meekness is not weakness. It is a gentleness of spirit that is rooted in a confidence in God. And listen to this next statement. The meek trust God, therefore they don't have to play God. By controlling other people. We talked about how liberating it is to live in a place of meekness where I have this confidence in God. And because I trust God, 
I don't have to control people. And I can actually free people to be who God has called them to be. And I can be freed from a spirit of manipulation. And I can live in a place of meekness where I trust the Lord and find the power that comes from a meek and a gentle spirit. Well, today we're going to tackle two more Beatitudes. Let's look at the next one together. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to stop there for just a second. For they shall be filled. The word filled in the Greek literally means simply to be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I want you to think about this. As we talk through this beatitude, this beatitude unlocks the key to living a satisfied life. And when you look at our world today, it's not hard to realize that our world is not satisfied. Right? Our world is living on spiritual emptiness because there is a void in the hearts of people that is evident to see because you can look how that they are chasing everything that the world has to offer and they still come up short. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I just got that house, I'd be happy. If I just got that car, I'd be happy. If I could just get that promotion, I could be happy. If I could just find that perfect spouse, I'd be happy. If we could just have kids, I would be happy. You ever had those thoughts? How many of you know that you've already had a lot of those thoughts and you've already had a lot of those thoughts be fulfilled? The thing that you said would make you happy, guess what? It didn't. <laughs> Because the moment it came, there was temporary pleasure, there was temporary joy, there was temporary satisfaction, and then all of a sudden, you found yourself thinking that thought again, except now you changed the blank, right? If I only had this, now I would be happy. Why? Because there is a satisfaction of soul that only comes through a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. There's nothing wrong with the things of the world as long as you understand the things of the world were never created to satisfy your soul. They were created to complement your life, but not satisfy the longing of your soul. So Jesus unlocks this amazing secret to a satisfied life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there's a special blessing for those who have this spiritual appetite. The word hunger and thirst in the Greek literally mean this. It means to have a craving, an inner hunger, a gnawing of soul, a painful realization of death. If hunger and thirst, if the hunger and the thirst is not quenched. So I want to challenge you today with a thought. Are you spiritually hungry? Are you craving the presence of God? Are you hungry for the Word of God? Are you excited about spending time at the feet of Jesus? That craving, that appetite. Think about your natural appetite, right? Uh, we, we have this, this little gnawing. You ever felt so hungry you thought your stomach was going to eat itself? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're just hungry. And the truth is, as an American, we've probably never really been hungry. You know what I'm talking about? Right? We, we're just, we just have a habit of eating, <laughs> but we really don't get hungry. But if you've ever been hungry, and we've all felt hunger pains, it's amazing what hunger will do. See, hunger will cause you to get out of the lazy boy and go in the kitchen and make a sandwich. 
Hunger will make you, when you have a hunger or specifically a craving, hunger will make you drive past 50 restaurants to get to the one restaurant that's serving the one thing that you want to eat that day. Hunger will make you 30 minutes before the restaurant closes in our modern world of technology. It'll make you call and order something 30 minutes before the restaurant closes and pay somebody else $30 to pick it up and bring it to your house. I mean, who would have thought? See, that's what hunger will do for you. Hunger will propel you. Hunger will cause you to step outside of your comfort zones. Hunger will propel you to get, move to a place of action and initiation where you are doing something. You're no longer sitting there. You're no longer idly holding yourself back. You are hungry and you want to eat. We got any hangry people in the house today? Anybody here get hangry? My wife, Kelly, she's like, she never eats, but if she ever gets hungry, you better watch out. I mean, her eyes glaze over. And I mean, it's like, feed me. You know what I mean? It's like the gremlins, y'all remember the gremlins? Feed me. I mean, it's crazy. Because I'm like, she'll go, I'll come home from work in the evening, and I'll say, well, what'd you eat today? Oh, I, I forgot to eat. I never forget to eat. And so the woman that forgets to eat, if she ever gets hungry, you better watch out because you got to feed her. I mean, it's just kind of serious stuff. <laughs> Psalms 42, look with me. She's not here today, so I can pick on her, praise God. I'm sure she's watching me at home. <laughs> I'm sure I will, brother. Psalms 42, 1 through 6. Listen to what the Psalms has said. What a beautiful Psalm. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? Look at verse 4. This is huge. He says, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great possession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks among the sound of a great celebration. Look at verse 5 and 6. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Here's the answer. I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him. Look at that next word again. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. I wonder how many of us in this room today are like the psalmist. How many of you watching me online today are like the psalmist in verse 4? Look what he said. I want to just read it to you one more time. Listen to what he said in verse 4. He said, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I wonder how many of us in this room today and how many watching online today can remember a time when you were really hungry for God. Do you remember a time when you got excited about going to church, when you got excited about reading your Bible, when you got excited about being around lost people because you were going to tell somebody about Jesus? You got excited about going to that job that you now hate to go to because you used to go to that job recognizing it was your mission field, and now you go to that job dreading the day that you have to see those people again. Do you remember the day you were hungry? you remember the day when you were hungry and thirsty for God? Do you remember the day when you were so so passionate for Jesus 
You were looking for every opportunity, every moment, every breath that you could take just to be a part of what God was doing. You wanted to serve, and it didn't matter if it was cleaning toilets or if it was leading worship. You just wanted to be a part of what God was doing. Do you remember when you used to be making a difference? Do you remember when your life counted for more than just going to work and making money and feeding the kids and doing the routine? Do you remember a day when you made a difference because you were hungry for God? And the Lord challenged my heart. He said, Keith, unfortunately in America we have exchanged our hunger for God for a craving for entertainment. Isn't it amazing how much time, energy, money, and effort we will put in to being entertained? Whether it's the next movie or the newest restaurant or the greatest adventure, the mountain to climb, the fish to catch, or, or the business to start, I don't know what your entertainment looks like but I know this I know that when you hunger and thirst for something it makes you do things you normally wouldn't do it makes you go places you normally wouldn't go it makes you stretch yourself beyond your limits and you will plan and you will prioritize and you will figure out a way to do the thing you're hungry to do and the Lord said I wonder how many Christians are now more hungry for entertainment than they are for me. Jeremiah chapter 2, God rebukes the children of Israel. This is what he says. Jeremiah 2 verse 13, he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's the revelation today. The God, the children of Israel had turned away from the living water, and they had created these, these wells that did not hold water. Therefore, they were never satisfied. Let me give you some good news today. The living water is still available. And if you can think to a point in your life where you were more hungry for God than you are now, let me give you some good news. You don't have to go back because you can't, but you can go forward. And you can today stir up a hunger and a thirst in your heart. God, let me hunger for you. I pray that prayer on a regular basis. God, let me hunger and thirst for you. I want to crave your presence. I want to crave an opportunity. I want to look at ministry and lost, broken people as an opportunity to show the glory of God, not a burden that I got to bear. God, let me be hungry for you. See, today the good news is you don't have to abandon living water. It's there. <laughs> and you can drink deeply from the well today. And here's what I know about spiritual hunger. In the natural, you can eat, and it will satisfy you for a season. You get full, hopefully. In the spiritual realm, the more you feast, the more you want. And the best way to become hungry is to feed the hunger. Just start feeding the hunger. 
Start doing the things as the Psalms has said. I remember when I used to walk among the crowds of worshipers. I remember when I used to lead a great possession of the house of God. I remember when I used to sing for joy. I used to serve in children's ministries. I used to make a difference. I used to tell others about Jesus. Remember when. Just start feeding that hunger. If you'll start feeding the hunger, you know what will happen. It will grow. God will stir up a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. All it takes is lead one people to Jesus, one person and one people. That's good English, isn't it? All you got to do is lead one people to Jesus. Just lead one person to Jesus, and you'll be thinking about how you can lead that next person to Jesus. Just pray with one person, and you'll be thinking about how can I pray with another person. Just minister to one hurting person, and you'll be thinking about when can I touch that next hurting person. Just sow a seed into one individual's life, and you'll be thinking about when can I sow a seed into another person's life. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look at that next point with me this morning. So this blessing, this blessing that he talks about of being satisfied, of being fulfilled in your soul is reserved for those who crave righteousness. Listen to this, who crave righteousness, not just encounters with God. And we're going to talk about encounters with God because we need encounters with God. As a matter of fact, last Sunday as we were working through, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We just stopped. You guys remember, we stopped right in the middle of the service and we prayed together. And I've heard testimony after testimony this week from people who encountered God last week. They encountered the presence of God, comforting, healing, redeeming, restoring their hearts. I had one lady text me and she said, I cried through the whole service. It was like everything that was said and done was just for me. Man, we need those encounters. But Jesus did not say, blessed are those who encounter the Lord. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, who crave righteousness. What is righteousness? Let me explain it to you today. Righteousness, I want to give you three facets of it. The first part is righteousness is simply right standing with God. It's right standing with God. It's the result of your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. Write it down. I don't think it's on the screen this morning. The Bible says this, speaking of God, He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The righteousness of God. Righteousness is right standing. It means that I have been brought to a place where I now have right standing with God. I can boldly come before his presence, before the throne of grace, and find mercy to help me in time of need. I can come before God and not be condemned. I can come before God and I can be accepted and received. Because of the righteousness of God that comes through faith. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for me and you. So that we could be made right. We could have right standing with God. I love what Isaiah says. Look at Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. He says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquity like the wind has taken us away. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of my integrity, all of my honesty, all of my good deeds, all of my good works apart from faith in Christ is filthy rags. Why? Because the only way that an imperfect sinner can come before a perfect God is that we have to put our faith in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when I do that, guess what happens? I go from being a slave to sin to being a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And I now have right standing 
with the Father. But there's another element of righteousness I want you to see this morning because this is critical. Once you come into right standing, once God repositions you, takes you out of the bondage of sin, adopts you into the family of God, He clothes you with His righteousness. He empowers you with His Spirit. He cleanses you by His blood, and He calls you His own. And now in that place of righteousness, God does something. Out of a right heart comes a right life. So righteousness is not just my right standing with God that comes through faith, but righteousness is what happens because of that. Because I am now right with God, I want to do what is right in the eyes of God. I want to do what's right in the eyes of God. How many know the standards of this world are constantly changing? What was right last year is not right this year. What was wrong this year wasn't wrong last year. And the standards of this world are always changing. But because I have been made righteous, my heart wants to do what is right. Not by the world's standards, but by God's standards. And I want to live a life that pleases God. See, the one common denominator that I know about all people that have been born again, if you're here today and you've been born again, then in your heart of hearts, you genuinely desire to please God. You genuinely desire to do the thing that's right in His eyes, and you want to please the Lord. Why? Because you've been made righteous, and out of a righteousness that comes by faith, there's now a desire that longs to do what is right in the eyes of God. And I want to please God. The Lord. As a matter of fact, let me flip the coin for a second. If you're here today and you do not desire to please God, then I would question your Christianity. I would question your salvation. If pleasing God does not rank on the list of things that burn on your heart, then I would have to ask you, where is Jesus in your life? Because when I have been made right with God by faith, the righteousness that comes by faith creates a heart of righteousness that now desires to do what is pleasing to the Lord. Look with me at that next point. Encounters allow us to feel and receive from God. And we need encounters. But sometimes as Christians, we get trapped chasing a feeling when we should be chasing righteousness because righteousness makes us into the person that we need to be. And we're going to unpackage that quite a bit here in just a second. So let's talk about encounters real quick again. So encounters allow us to feel God. How many glad you can feel His presence? Come on, somebody. I'm glad I can feel the presence of God. I'm glad I can sense the nearness of His Spirit. I'm glad that comfort that we talked about last week is not an idea in our head. It is a reality that God literally comes alongside you. And you can feel the presence of a loving Father who cares about you. We need encounters. This morning, as we went to our four corners of prayer, many of you encountered God. You encountered His healing. You encountered His restoration. You encountered the Word of the Lord spoken over your life. And your heart began to burn within you because something happened. You felt and not only felt, you received something that only God could do in your life. What I love about this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is it kind of connects the dot 
with the first beatitude we talked about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit, we said spiritual poverty means that we live in a place of dependency and expectancy upon the Lord. So I have to come to a place where I realize that my good enough is not good enough. That there are some things in my life that only God can do. Only God can save. Only God can heal. Only God can deliver. Only God can restore. Only God can take the broken pieces and put them back together again in such a way that nobody even knows you are broken. You know what I love about the stories I hear at Liberty Church is you talk to people and they start telling you who they used to be and you're like, I can't even imagine that. You're so far removed from that person I can't even imagine you being the person you're describing to me now. Why? Because that is the grace of God to restore and redeem a life where we are so healed and so whole that the scars don't even remain. So we need encounters with God. We need to pursue the presence of God. But we also need to pursue righteousness. And this is what he said. He said, Keith, sometimes as Christians, we start chasing a feeling. You ever, you ever experienced God and you felt something? You're like, whoo, that was awesome. You know, we was in that worship service and they were singing that song. And when they sung that song, it was like, whoo, I mean, heaven came down. And then we're like, we got to play that song every day. And the only time I can feel God is when I play that song. And if they're not singing my favorite song, then I don't really feel like I met with God today. Christians are weird. Beginning with me. See, we start chasing these feelings. We start trying to recreate an encounter based on a natural environment that had nothing to do with the supernatural provision of God. God doesn't need a praise team and a song or a preacher to show up and show out in your life. I'm glad he uses us. I'm glad I get to be a part of it. I'm glad we got an amazing worship team. I'm glad we got four corners of prayer. But God doesn't need any of us to do what he does. He chooses to use us. But it's not the song or the singer or the preacher or the prayer corner. It's the God of heaven and earth that loves you so much that he is willing to come into your life when you cry out to him from a desperate place that says, God, I need you. And that's so powerful. And we need those, but here's what we got to recognize. I can't chase the feeling. I've got to chase the righteousness. i got to chase. i got to be hungry and thirsty for right standing with God and for a life that pleases God. Why? Because righteousness makes me the person, hear me today, that can sustain and facilitate the blessing so that it is not lost or squandered or wasted. See, the Bible says we should grow from glory to glory and from faith to faith. How many times have we in our own lives had a breakthrough and then a breakdown? And then a breakthrough and then a breakdown. And then a breakthrough and then a breakdown. And three months later, we're still praying for the same breakthrough that we've already had three months prior. Because the breakthrough came, but then there was a breakdown. And then there was a breakthrough again, same breakthrough, and then there was a breakdown. And then there was a breakthrough, and then there was a breakdown. Why is it that I somehow can have a breakthrough, but somehow I can't sustain what God has given me 
so that instead of going from breakthrough to breakdown, I can go from breakthrough to breakthrough to breakthrough to breakthrough where glory to glory and faith to faith, I am climbing the mountain of God instead of continually falling back into the same sin and struggle that I had before. The secret to sustained breakthrough is righteousness. Look with me in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And the Lord showed it to me in a whole new light this week. I want to read it to you. Luke 15, the Bible says, Jesus said a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the portions that falls to me. So he divided them, divided to them their livelihood. He said, give me. And that's typically where we start. God, I need what you have. I need you to bless me. I need you to prosper me. I need you to heal me. I need you to deliver me. Bless are the poor in spirit because they realize they need God. Come on, somebody. That's not a bad place to be. The problem is that when the father gave the son what he asked for, look at the next verse. It says, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions. He wasted his inheritance. He wasted the father's blessing. He wasted the father's provision. He wasted the father's resources with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, I'm glad we can come to ourselves today. Come on, somebody. We can come to ourselves. When he came to himself, look at that verse. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Isn't it interesting that it's hunger that made him want to return to the father's house? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who hunger and thirst to do what is right in the eyes of the father. And look what he says. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. He went from give me to make me into the person that I need to be. Make me into the person that can sustain the blessing. Make me into the person that doesn't waste the inheritance. Make me into the person that can receive a breakthrough and allow that breakthrough to catapult me to a new level instead of giving me a temporary high and a lower low because I break down after my breakthrough because I really don't have a hunger to do what is right in the eyes of God. I really just want God to help me do my thing. And he said, God, Father, make me. And he arose, verse 20, and came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him. How many of you go, the father's looking for you today? He was a great way off and the father saw him. You know how the father saw him? Because every day he was looking for him. He was looking for the, over the horizon for that wayward son to come home. He was looking for that person that used to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that hadn't hungered and thirsted for God in a long time, to turn their heart toward him, to say, God, I'm hungry for you again. 
He saw him, the Bible says. Look what the scripture goes on. When he was still a great way off, he saw him. He had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. He says, I'm no longer to be your son. And you know what the dad did? The dad said, put a robe on his back, put the ring of authority on his finger, put sandals on his feet, let's kill the calf, we're throwing a party because my son, not my slave, my son, not my servant, my son has come home. God is looking for people who will hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're still his son. You may be in the pig pen, but you're still his son. You may have squandered your inheritance, but you're still his son. You may have wasted God's provision, but you're still his son or his daughter. And he, think about it, he didn't say, you smell like a pig. (laughs) Which would have probably been the most appropriate answer. He hugged him. He kissed him. He embraced him, and he wrapped him in a robe of righteousness. He put a ring of authority on his finger. He put shoes on his feet, and he said, this is my son, and we're going to celebrate. I'm just telling you, God celebrates when we get hungry. God celebrates when those who have wasted their inheritance begin to hunger for righteousness so they can sustain it. Look at that next point. We're about to move on. Righteousness allows us to steward the encounters of God so they produce lasting fruit. See, if you lack righteousness, if you don't hunger and thirst to do what is right in the eyes of God, then you'll waste your inheritance. You'll waste your breakthrough. You'll waste your blessing. I can look back on my life and I can recognize there have been times where God provided and we didn't change. And next month we had the same need. And God provided, and we didn't change. And next month we had the same need. And God provided, and we didn't change. And next month we had the same need. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's no longer God just give me what I need. It's God make me into the person that can steward what you've given me. So that your provision and your breakthrough is not a momentary excitement. It is a supernatural investment that now catapults me forward to the next level of breakthrough that you have for my life. It's when I hunger and thirst to do what is right. It's when I hunger and thirst to please the Father because I am a son. I'm not trying to be a son. I am a son. You're not trying to be a daughter. You are a daughter. Through faith in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. And because of who I am, this is who I long to be. So God, make me righteous. I want to hunger to do what pleases you. One more beatitude. Y'all good for a few more minutes? Blessed are the merciful, 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is forgiveness, it's compassion, it's pity, it's sympathy. And Jesus commends and celebrates one of the greatest attributes of God in this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful. When you think of mercy, you can't help but think of God. God is merciful. And Jesus' mercies never cease. His forgiveness, his compassion, his pity, his sympathy never ends. Aren't you glad? How many are thankful today for the mercy of God? I heard it said years ago, it's the mercy of God that keeps us from what we do deserve, which is judgment and hell. And it's the grace of God that gives us what we don't deserve, which is his provision and his blessing and his favor and his goodness. Look what the next verse says. Verse 23, Lamentations 3, great is his faithfulness and his mercies begin afresh each morning. I don't know about you, I need new mercy, come on. I need new mercy every single day. And how many of you realize today that if it were not for the mercy of God, we would all be dead in our sins and we would all be headed to hell? Because your righteousness is as filthy rags. If not for, and there is no hope, but by his mercy, he saves us. By his mercy, he extends his righteousness to us. Look at that next point. This beatitude releases an equivalent blessing. What do I mean by that? I simply mean this, that of the other beatitudes, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But leave. The blessing is equivalent to the action of faith and the attitude of heart that you're putting on. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And what's powerful about this beatitude is it enables me and you to set ourselves up for success in moments of failure. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Why? Because the way that you treat others in their worst moments will determine how others will treat you in your worst moments. How many know you don't need mercy when you've done a great job? You don't need mercy when you knocked it out of the ballpark. You don't need mercy when you're hitting tens on every level of your life. You need mercy when you have messed, messed up, when you have screwed up, when you have come short of the glory of God. You dropped the ball. You made the mistake. You committed the sin. You crossed the line. You did the thing you weren't supposed to do, and you probably did it big. <laughs> and you need mercy. You need mercy from God, but you also need mercy from the people that are in your life. And here's the power of this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The way you treat people in the worst moments of their life will determine the way others will treat you in the worst moments of your life. And the Lord said that little statement. I said I was going back up to it. He said, Keith, you can actually set yourself up for success even when you fail. Because if you show mercy to others in their lowest moments, when you fail and you're in your worst moment, there will be people there to show you mercy who will help you get back up. And even in your failure, you can find success. I want you to think about people in the world. I hope we don't always follow this standard, but let's just think about the world we live in today. When a prideful, arrogant person stumbles and falls, the people... Huh, that work with them 
in the corner behind closed doors applaud their failure. I knew it was coming. He's so arrogant. He's so prideful. I tell you what, he had it coming. It was, it was, I knew that was going to happen to him. Now, I'm not saying that's the way we should act. But isn't that the way the world acts? When the prideful and the arrogant fall, the world applauds their failures. I knew it was coming to you, and you deserved it. But you know what happens when the merciful fall? When the merciful fall, people extend them mercy. When, when, when the person that has shown you mercy needs mercy, the tendency is not to be harsh and cruel. The tendency is to be compassionate and forgiving because you remember that when you failed, they loved you. When you failed, they forgave you. When you failed, they encouraged you. When you failed, they picked you up. And when they fall... You want to help them. All of a sudden, Jesus teaches us what the Bible says in the book of Galatians. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap in our lives. One last point. You guys with me? Two more minutes. This beatitude doesn't encourage rewarding wrong behavior. I want you to hear this today. This beatitude doesn't encourage rewarding wrong behavior. It reminds us of the redemptive nature of God to always create a path of restoration. How many of you know that in Jesus, there's always a path of restoration? The redemptive nature of God always creates a path of restoration. When you look at the children of Israel, they were horrible. They sinned and rebelled and worshiped false gods. And they sinned and rebelled and they worshiped false god. And they sinned and they rebelled and they worshiped false god. And every time, even though God judged them because of their sin, even though God punished them because of their unrighteousness, every single time God extended mercy and he said, if you'll turn, I'll redeem you. If you'll turn, I'll rescue you. If you'll return to me, I will give you life. Every time. God extended mercy. Why? Because the redemptive power of God always creates a path of restoration. But I want you to hear this today, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up. Mercy redeems our failures and our sin, and it creates a path forward. We don't enable people, listen to me, we don't enable people to sin. We empower people through mercy to come out of their sin. In John chapter 8, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. It's the story of the adulterous woman. You remember that story? They bring the lady before Jesus. Jesus said, whoever doesn't have sin, let them cast the first stone. And everybody drops their rocks. How many know today's a good day to drop your rocks? Good day. I'm just telling you, today's a good day to drop those stones of accusation and those stones of condemnation that we want to throw at all the people that are around us. Isn't it amazing in our social media world how quick we throw stones? And then when somebody criticizes you, you get your feelings hurt. But he who shows mercy obtains mercy. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones. Why? Because maturity teaches you something. The longer you live, the more you realize you need mercy. When you're young, you think you got it. When you're old, you realize you don't. Right? Lord, help me, Jesus. I need mercy. They drop their stones. 
And Jesus, look at the last two verses with me, verse 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again, said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. What he say? Go and what? Why? Because mercy is not an excuse to sin. And mercy does not empower us to sin. Mercy empowers us to come out of sin. It extends the redemption of God and it creates a path of restoration that we can begin to move forward on and follow the path that God has for us. Let me read the rest of this that the Holy Spirit gave me. He said, mercy always loves, always forgives, and always keeps the door open. But mercy doesn't enable the habit, the sin, or the addiction. Hear this last statement. It is merciful to say no I am not going to give you money. No, I am not going to bail you out. No, I am not going to help you again. That's mercy. Why? Because mercy does not enable us to sin. Mercy empowers us to come out of sin. And it creates a path of restoration where we can move forward. And let me encourage you in this because the Holy Spirit really quickened this in my heart this morning, just at the 8 o'clock service. He said, Keith, there are so many people who have family and friends in addiction. And the Bible and the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God become tools of manipulation. To get people to enable you to continue in your sin. Well, if you really love me. Well, I thought you forgave me. Well, what about mercy? Well, what about God's grace? Well, I thought it was unconditional. I thought you said, if you really love me. How many of you know all those words are manipulation? Because the mercy of God does not enable you to continue in sin. The mercy of God empowers you with a path of restoration to come out of sin. So no, I'm not going to give you money to do that, but I will help you do this. No, I'm not going to feed this again, but I will give you an opportunity to do this. No, I'm not going to funnel into that thing anymore, but I'm going to create a new funnel over here. If you're willing to go this way, I'll help you. See, that's mercy. That's mercy. And, and the Lord said there are many people here today and many of you watching online that right now you're battling with that with your family. And you feel guilty for saying no. I want you to hear me today. No is a merciful act of God. And when you say no, I won't help you sin. But yes, I will create a path for you to be restored, that's mercy. And some of you right now have been carrying around a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because you feel like, man, I just feel so guilty. I want you to hear me today. God loves you, and God loves your family that's bound in brokenness. And it doesn't matter if it's addiction or pornography or any kind of sin, pride, lust, jealousy, envy, greed, doesn't matter what the sin is. Here's the realization. God loves you, and God loves them. And there is mercy to come out of that sin. And it's available today for whosoever will. You can find mercy. And as Jesus said, you can go 
and sin no more. That doesn't mean she was perfect. It just meant Jesus said, hey, don't continue in the life you were living. There's a new path. How many know there's a new path today? I want us just to bow our heads this morning. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're watching me from all over around the world today, I want to just encourage you in this. If you're a Christian, I want to challenge you with two thoughts this morning. Number one, are you giving the mercy that you want to receive? Because if you're not, you need to drop the stones. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't have any stones to throw. Because I need mercy. Second thing I want to challenge you with if you're a Christian is can you think back to a time in your life when you were more hungry for God than you are now? And then I want to ask you, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Are you going to feed the hunger of God and say, Lord, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I want to be more hungry now for you than I've ever been in my entire life. And if you're tired of having a breakthrough and then a breakdown and a breakthrough and then a breakdown, then say, God, help me to help me to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God that says, Lord, I want to live every day and I want to please you. I want to do what is right in your eyes because I'm a son or a daughter of God. I'm not earning your favor. I have your favor. And I want to live out of that favor today in a way that pleases you. So if you're a Christian today, that's your challenge. If you're here today and you're listening to me in this room or you're watching me online and you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith, I'm not a Christian. Jesus is not the Lord of my life. And I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness and I've never really much thought about what it even means to please God. But right now in your heart of hearts, that's what you want. You're like, I want to I wanna please God. And I want to accept His Son Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for my sin. And today I want to begin that path of restoration called Christianity. If that's you in this room, you say, today I want to be saved, Pastor Keith. I want you just to raise your hand all over this building. Just slip your hand up. Hands are going up right now. As you raise your hand, an usher's going to come. We're going to give you a little packet, and I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. But if you'll just lift your hand high for just a minute. If you're watching online, just raise that little hand emoji. Type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you lifted your hand, hold it up high until an usher comes. We want to give you something today to help you take those next steps. Today, the Lord is calling you. I want to please God today, Pastor Keith. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. We're about to pray. If you're watching online, we're going to be praying with you too. This is your moment. So as every head's bowed, every eye's closed right now, let's just pray this prayer out loud together. Let's say it together. All of us in the room, for those of you watching online, let's say it. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask you to save me. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life and I receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.